Thanks for tuning in on our Canyon Hills San Luis Obispo podcast. Wherever you're tuning in from, we pray you're encouraged by the message. Two things. Number one, we believe the Bible is a unified, uninterrupted story that leads to Jesus. Not just from beginning to end, but from beginning to even right now and until the end. See, at this church, we believe Jesus is a very, very big deal. And everyone said, that's the first truth. The second truth, especially in this series that we're on, this is only week two, is that when it comes to the book of Hebrews, the big idea to Hebrews is simply this. Jesus is so much better. That's kind of the theme of the whole book. Now, if you didn't join us last week, last week we started this journey for the next 12 to 13 weeks of walking through the book of Hebrews. And it's going to be a deep series. It's going to be a rich series. It's really weird for me to say that because my name is rich. I got to find a better word. Um, It's going to be one of those, but it's also going to be one that's going to deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to say this from the very get-go. Today, I will say some things in a very nice way to push some buttons in your life. Like for for the good, though. Like I don't want to be like the mean pastor up here yelling at you, spitting everywhere. That'd be awkward. But there's going to be some challenges today because when you look at the book of Hebrews— you read some things. This past week, 41 people from our church took the challenge. They joined us for the, the reading of the book of Hebrews throughout the week. We'll give you guys an opportunity to do that again. And you probably read some things this week that just kind of puzzled you, which is the whole point of this series, is to take the things that don't make sense and make them make sense, because that's what the Bible's for. If the Bible was a book that we could not understand, why even pick it up in the first place? Forget it. I'm out. God wants you to know his word because his word brings life. His word helps you. His word will change you and it will sustain you. Amen. All right. So Hebrews chapter one, only four verses today, going all the way back to the beginning. The Bible says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, his son being Jesus, whom he has appointed heir of all things, or another way of putting that, who is put in charge of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, and who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. That's a powerful statement in and of itself. When he had by himself purged our sins. This is speaking of Jesus. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better. I love that statement. So much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. There's a lot to unpack in just those four verses. So I'm going to do my best today to do it in about two hours. I hope you guys are comfortable. I'm just joking. I can't even talk two hours. If you're taking notes, I want to speak to you on the subject of there is no comparison. When it comes to Jesus, There is no comparison. There is not one thing in this world that you and I can have that can compare to the greatness of who God is. There's nothing in it of ourselves that can make us great. It's only God who makes us great. And my goal this morning is to help all of us see that and recognize that and remember that. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? Let's pray. Father, help in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. You may be seated. Omar, thank you so very much. I brought my phone up with me this morning because I don't want time to get too far away from us. 
but we're going to go through some content. There's three questions that we answer every single week when we talk about God's Word. Three questions. The first one, what are we talking about? Like the reason that we want to kind of establish what it is that we're talking about is because it helps you, the audience, kind of track with where my mind can sometimes go. Now, if you know me well enough, you know that I can have squirrel moments. And that is where I have this thought, but then my brain goes that way and I just follow it that way. Not rabbit hole, because that could take a long time, but, but, but squirrel thoughts. So we always define what are we talking about. The second question is, what do we need to know about that? So if we define what we're talking about, the second question is, is, okay, if this is the theme, what do I need to know about that? What does the Bible have to say about that? Everything we talk about is trying to help us all discover what the Bible says about, and you can fill in the blank. I'll give that to you in a minute. The third thing we do is then we talk about what do I need to do? The Bible says in the book of James, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. So it's not just enough contrary to some, to just be in church to hear, but not to do. It says it's like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and immediately steps away and forgot what he looked like. That's what it is to just be a hearer only. You've got to be a hearer of the word, but then you've got to do. It's like if you've been a parent, you know this to be true. You have to define what you want your child to do, and then you pray to God. They actually do it, right? But no, you need them to do it. So you say, don't just hear me. We have a statement in my house now. I have to tell my boys, and MJ's back on the computer. I don't think he'll mind me doing this. I tend to kind of just use him as illustrations in a good way, by the way. But I'll tell them all the time, look with your eyes, not with your mouth. Because sometimes it's like, go get this. Can't find it. Did you really, really look for it? So it's kind of like that sometimes too in the Bible. Like you can't just read it. You, you've got you've to do it. So let me define what it is that we're talking about today so we can all get on the same page and then we'll dive into eight non-comparable truths about Jesus. Eight. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them, but we've got to understand them before we get to the do part of the message. So today what we're talking about is we're talking about the supremacy of Jesus. Now that word supremacy could be a very big word if, if you were like me in any form of school you didn't like going to school. And I know we have teachers in our church and I thank God for teachers. Oh, I pray for you so often because you did not want me as a kid in your class because I just didn't care, right? Am I the only one? Okay, good, because some of you are looking at me. Shame on you. Now, like I told you last week, PE and lunch break, straight A's, whole time. It was awesome. But here's the deal. That word supremacy, really, if we take it and boil it down to a word that's just simple to understand, it pretty much is saying Jesus is the big deal. That's it. Like if I had to take the life of Jesus and where Jesus falls in my life, Jesus is the biggest thing in my life. Nothing else could compare to it. And everyone said. Now, now think about this though, right? Like we've all tried to um, compare things, right? Let me ask you this. Do you have things in your life that nothing else can just compare to? Let's, let's step away from, of course, Jesus being non-comparable because nothing kind of lines up to him. But it's like me every single morning that I wake up. My alarm goes off at four. That's when the godly wake up. No, okay, well, that's what the Bible says. Anyways, Mark 135, read it. Jesus woke up early in the morning, departed to the mountain, and there he, he prayed. I'm just joking with you. If you want to wake up at noon, that's fine too. But the, the thing in the morning that I've learned is nothing, and I mean nothing, compares to a very cold, iced energy drink in the morning. Like, I know some of you drink coffee 
in the morning and like when you wake up, your whole goal is just to get to coffee because you get that first drink of coffee mixed with whatever, mixed with whatever, mixed with whatever. And you take that first sip and you're like, ah, I'm ready to start the day. Nothing compares to a nice warm hot cup of coffee in the morning. Well, I don't feel that way. I think a cold carbonated rock star or Zoa, I'm trying to clean it up a little bit, in the morning is like nothing compares to that. That's a silly illustration of something comparable. But think about the things, right? Like, like the more serious things. Like nothing compares to my family. Some of us would say that. Man, man, nothing compares to that, that special place or that special someone. Like we, we make like these comparisons and nothing is greater. The goal of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, is to get us to a place where we in our hearts, in our lives, with our words, with our actions, live a life that says there is absolutely nothing that compares to Jesus at all. Like that's the thing. And if we can get to that mindset, then when things begin to come our way that will pull us away from God or the things of God, we would say, no, 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 no. That fails to fall into any type of comparison to what I have with Jesus. Nothing compares. Look at your neighbor real quick and say, nothing compares. Now, you guys were kind of quiet right there too, by the way. So if you came to church to be quiet, it gets really awkward in this room, all right? So you got to like be like engaged and smiling and making noises. Not too much though, because sometimes in this area over here, we have to kick people out in the middle of the service. So I, I open it up to a conversation and sometimes I don't realize what I'm doing with this bunch right here. Most of them work at DMV. They can have as much joint church as they want to, okay? <laughs> Monday's coming. So in our opening text, there's something that is the writer. Again, we don't know who the writer of Hebrews is. Some would say it's Paul. Some would say Apollo. Some would say Priscilla. We, we don't know who the writer is. But the writer begins to weave the following thread through the entire sermon of the book of Hebrews. If you looked at the book of Hebrews, you would really see this very huge, long sermon that the writer's given. And this is the theme that goes through the whole thing. The theme is... God is communicator. His word, it's effective. His son Jesus, both in person and works, is the ultimate means of communication. And the church, that's you and I, believers, is the immediate recipient of that communication. We see that in the first four verses. That God's the communicator, but he chooses then to communicate not with him, but with his son, Jesus. So the opening statement in verses 1 through 4 in Hebrews introduces the heart of the book as a whole. God has something to say to the church, and that message focuses on one person, Jesus. That's the whole book of Hebrews. Matter of fact, when you go through it, if you have some time this week, because the goal is to keep reading it over and over and over, I challenge you to go into the book of Hebrews this week and see how many times it says Jesus is and then fill in the blank. Jesus is better than the prophets. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus, and you can just go through the whole book of Hebrews and this theme comes. Jesus is better. There's nothing else that compares. Not even close. 
he's better. So the writer is doing this over and over and over. So I don't know how, but God in his infinite wisdom and the Holy Spirit in instructing the writer of this book in these four verses gives us eight non-comparable truths about Jesus. Four verses, eight truths. So we're going to breeze through these, okay? So this is where I put my this is where I put my teaching hat on or my coaching hat, okay? This is where we look at the text and we understand it for what it is. There's a danger in trying to be the person who wants to be so deep in theology that you try to find what's not there. That's danger in understanding the Bible. Well, I just want to deepen my theology by finding something that's not even there. No, no, no. It's finding what God is actually saying and then building your theology off of that. So Jesus does that. The first thing is simply this. We see that Jesus is the revelation of God. It says in verse one, so God who at various times and in various ways, notice that, not, not just with people or times, but in different ways, he spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. It goes on to say that in these last days though, he decided to speak through his son. So when it talks about God speaking and how long ago he spoke by the prophets, think about it, the prophets, the judges, the kings. Reading the Old Testament last year as we just navigated through the whole Bible, man, God, man, he, man, he, God spoke through a burning bush to Moses. Fascinating story. God, God spoke through a donkey in the Old Testament. So I always say this, if God could use a donkey to say something to someone, God could use you and I. <laughs> say, Pastor, don't pick on me. I'm just saying, like, whatever. God could use anything to speak. You ever had a moment? I mean, we live on the Central Coast, people. Think about that. You go for a walk along the beach. You go for a hike, which my son Jacob, man, we go on all the time. Have you ever just stopped and had a moment when you look at something so beautiful that it stops you where you are? Now, for some people, the thought goes, well, that's just beautiful. But do you know the Bible talks about how we can see God through creation? So could it just be that people all around this world have experienced God in a way because of the things that he spoke into existence? He didn't even say a word from his mouth in that moment to them. They just look and they saw this view and something on the inside of them was like, wow. Little moment of God just saying, let me just insert myself in your life here just a little bit. God can speak through anything. But in the book of Hebrews, it says that he begins to now speak through his, through his son. All of these different ways that God decides to speak. Have you ever asked the question? Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. What's God like? You ever asked that question? Especially like if you weren't raised in church or maybe you're not familiar with church. You kind of like live life. You hear people talk about God. They go to church. They, they do things. They serve and all that. Well, 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 what is God like? Can I answer that for you here today? It's very simple. God's like Jesus. Now, I've done this a couple times at our church. Um, you ever read the definition to a word in the dictionary and it left you more confused than before you read the actual definition of the word like you're like thanks dictionary.com that really helped so when I say what is God like and then I say well God's like Jesus it's like that well what is Jesus like so then I would answer that well Jesus is like God and then you're just going like what are you trying to say right it's confusing how do you take this God who has created everything 
by his words, this world that we live in, and try to put him in a sentence. It is so difficult. So I answer it this way. What is God like? God is like Jesus. What was Jesus like? Jesus loved people. Jesus healed the sick. Jesus raised the dead. So what is God like? God's like Jesus. He's good. That's as simple as it gets. If we, if we go a little bit deeper, God is love. Well, what is love? Love is good. So therefore, all good things come from God. So when people ask me, what, what, what's God like? I just tell them all the time, and he's good. Like, and then I'll, then I'll be like, hey, think of something good in your life. And they're like, okay, I've got this good. I said, good. It came from God. The Bible says all good things come from above. So just stop in your life in this moment right here. Matter of fact, I'll even help. I'll sit down. We'll have a thinking moment. Think of one good thing in your life right now. Say, I worked for it. I made it good. No, 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 no. God gave you the ability to do that. Anything you have good came from the Lord. Man, I... I Sometimes I just have to stop and just go, I'm so ruining this, by the way. The camera's person like going, will you stand up? I can't see in the shot. No, I'm having a moment, okay? <laughs> we get so negative in life by what we have or what we don't have or what we used to have that we no longer have. Yeah. We compare. We look at other people's lives. We say we're not accomplished. We say we won't have what they have. We start to covet. We start to get upset. We start to get bitter. We start to get negative. And we miss out on the fact that we actually do have good in our lives. You're just so caught up on what everybody else has. That's a dangerous place. That's a difficult way to live. Because I've learned no matter what, there will always be somebody who has something more than I have. But if I've got Jesus, I've got all I need. Oh, pastor, that's such a crutch statement. No, it ain't. Come on. If, if Jesus coming into this world to die for my sins was the only thing I received... I'm good because here's why. When I breathe my last breath here, there's an eternity waiting for me. And we'll talk about this in a moment. We don't like to talk about this. We'll believe in heaven, but don't you dare talk about hell, pastor. You can't talk about one without having the other. You can't know love if you don't know hate. You got to understand that there is an eternity that is real. We will breathe our last breath on this earth. And we're going one or two places. So with that being said, it's like, man, if the only thing I have that I'm thankful for is Jesus good to go? I got everything I need. I may not have what they have, but I have all that I need. So what's God like? He's like Jesus. Jesus is good. Number two, Jesus is the son of God. Shocker there. In these last days, spoken to us by his son. When God decided to speak, he said, son, your turn. Now, I want you to notice that he uses the word son. Now, we could camp here for a good hour, if not more, and it would do us well to do so. But we have to understand that this statement right here is on the deep end of the pool. Like if I'm on the shallow end here talking about how Jesus loves you, when I make the statement that Jesus is the son of God, that's actually the deep end of the pool because we have this thing called the Trinity, the father, the son, and what's his name? Oh, Holy Spirit, okay. That's a series for another day. We believe in God, we believe in Jesus, but that Holy Spirit stuff, I don't know about that. Friend, the Holy Spirit, whew, okay, and I'll get off notes and I'll waste a lot of time. Not waste a lot of time, I'll use a lot of time. 
But it's the deep end because when he's saying, this is my son, he's saying something about the beginning of time. See, we forget that God created the heavens and the earth, but when we back up, it says the spirit of God was hovering. Jesus was there from the very beginning. So at the creation of time, it wasn't just God. It was God, it was Jesus, and it was the Holy Spirit. So when this statement's being made here in Hebrews, that's a rather big statement. Now, we could take an hour to unpack that. It'd be worth our time, but I could simplify it just like this. The Father plans, the Son accomplishes, and the Spirit applies. That's how this thing works. God's got the plan. The Son's going to accomplish it, but the Spirit is going to apply it. Trinity, important, but make no mistake about it. The book of Hebrews, it's all about Jesus. All right, number three. Jesus is the owner of all things. Eight truths in four verses. Look at verse two. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in the times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to his son. Then he says this, whom he has appointed heir over some things. Mm-mm. All. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added unto you. God owns it all. There's a statement I make to my boys all the time. And I tell them all the time, I said, boys, we're not, we're not owners. We're stewards. So there's a joke in my family. There's so many different ways to get to our house in this town by where we live. We live two blocks over. And there's so many ways to go. Now, there's a fast way and there's a slow way. The slow way is when you come and you pass by the church. That's the slow way. The fast way is when you go up and you stay on the one and then you make a left at high. Then you can either go to the college or you can go to our house. And I remember every single time when we come from that side of town, I always go the same way and I drive by this church every single time. And I'll never forget, it was either MJ or Jacob, but I said, Dad, isn't the other way quicker? And, I, and if you guys know me, like I live fast, like let's just get up and go. But then I crash hard too, so I got to kind of balance that all. But it's like, well, yeah, but I want to I drive by the church just to make sure everything's Okay. And here's a statement I make to my boys. We're stewards. God has given us the ability to come alongside those who have pastored before us, that have stewarded this place and God's people, and we're added to that. So we're going we're gonna to drive by here. We're going to make sure everything's good. Dad, parents, you get this. Why do we clean the vehicles every single week? On the same day, at the same time, sometimes twice. I said because we're stewards. God has gifted us with the ability to make a living and to own a car, but the car is God's. We steward it right. Now, I'm not picking on anybody whose car is not as clean. You, that's between you and the Lord. But I'm just telling you, I want my boys knowing, now nah, we, we steward stuff. The relationships I have with many of you in this room that you have with each other, it's a gift. How do you steward it? Everything, everything is God's. Everything he gave to Jesus. Are you getting that? I, I know we're not in the practical part of the message yet, but you know how important that is at, 
as it refers to you and I, meaning how you treat each other is a reflection of how much you love the Lord. Now, I know I've said this before. That's why when you see people and they make a mistake in our town, they get your order wrong or they mess up, you don't put them down. They were created in God's image. Man, that changes a lot of things right there. You got to treat people right. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Period. So you got to treat them right. All right, number four. Jesus is the creator, and he's the sustainer of the universe. Now, I don't know about you, but there are things so crazy about this universe and so big about this universe to try to put it in words is impossible. This world, this universe, not just earth, but the galaxies, the stars, the billions of light years that they're separated by, my brain can't even compute that. My brain just says this, God is really, really big. Okay, he's the creator of it, right? And the sustainer. But remember, Jesus was there too. You know, we don't think about this. This is when you slow down. Everyone say, slow down. It's like low rider, slow down. Okay, I don't know why I did that again. I don't know what's going on. Look at Hebrews chapter 2. Man, I give these guys so much ammunition on me. In these last days, spoken by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. Watch here. Through whom who also, key word, he. Wait, who's this speaking? Is he talking about God or Jesus here? Who's the book of Hebrews about? Okay. So wait, you mean to tell me Jesus had a hand in the creation of the world? I thought that was God. It was all of them. It was the Trinity. See, when I told you we were going to go deeper in the series, like I'm going to challenge the things that you know or don't know about God and try to create an appetite in you that just wants more of his word. He. Let me show you why I believe that to be true. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 16. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him, watch here, and for him. Through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. The writer is speaking about Jesus. It was created by him, for him, and he sustains it all. Okay, so I told you, the practical part comes at the end of the message. I'm going to insert another one right here. If the universe is that big, and God is that big, and God is that good, and he can hold it all, and he can understand it all, then why do we get troubled, and why do we worry about the things that come on our life? He upholds the universe. Don't you think he can uphold you? I don't think we think this sometimes, man. We've made Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit small. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. They work all the time. We just don't always understand it. He upholds it all. So why do we worry and why do we fret and why do we get anxious? And I'm not just talking to you, I'm talking to me. Like, why do I allow sometimes the things of this world to mess with my dome? It's another way for saying head, by the way, or my thoughts. Why? Why do we? He can hold it all. That's Jesus. Okay, I got to keep tracking here. Five, number five. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, who being the brightness of his 
glory and the express image of his person. Now, let me define that word glory. The word glory means the excellence or worth of something on display. Okay, now let me make that make sense. Think about a bride who's getting married, okay? A bride can be beautiful in the dressing room, but the moment of glory is when she walks down the aisle and everyone else gets to behold her beauty. You see that? So the glory, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. So when Jesus comes to this earth, it changes everything. Number six, Jesus is the remedy for sin. By the way, you guys are doing so good. I'm almost done with this very long 28-minute, 33-second opener of laying the foundation before we get to the practical. You're doing great. Jesus is the remedy for sin. Okay, verse three, down at the bottom. When he had by himself purged our sins. By himself. He's God in the flesh. He's Jesus who came down from heaven to earth in the form of a baby who was raised up just like you and I faced everything we would have faced so he could understand our human condition. That's the thing that people don't understand about Jesus. He knows exactly how you feel. He had to face it all. That's the only way. He had to bear our sin. So he had to understand it all. He was tempted, the Bible says, in every which way that anyone could be tempted. So Jesus, though, is the purging of our sins. Now, here's the deal. Remember that part where I said where I might say some things that kind of do this a little bit? Do you still have the boot on your toe, by the way? I'm stepping on toes. Perfect, okay? A couple weeks ago, I said, hey, in this series, we're going to say some things. You might step on your toes. Homeboy broke his toe the morning before he came to church, and I didn't know it. So I was like, he's like, please don't step on my toe, pastor. Um, Here's the deal. Track with me real quick. We live in a world, and we even live in a time where we don't want to talk about sin. Matter of fact, if we do, or if a pastor does, or a preacher does, or a person does, whatever the case, because it doesn't just take place in the church. It takes places in families, at work. We don't want to talk about, because we say things like, well, who am I to say that? Who am I to, to say, well, man, what, what's wrong? Well, here's the deal. When you read through Hebrews, Hebrews addresses sin and the brokenness that comes from it. And can I just tell you, it does it head on. So when you read something over the course of the next 12 to 13 weeks in Hebrews, and we come back on Sunday and we talk about it, there's going to be time, matter of fact, we'll get to it, but there's going to be a time where the Bible calls us out for our spiritual immaturity. That's a hard pill to swallow right there. I'm going to read a verse to you in just a moment. But the writer of Hebrews says, man, you guys are acting like children. Grow up. It's like, oh, geez, please. But for some people, man, they're okay with that, right? We want to be challenged. For some of us, man, we just get highly offended. Well, man, pastor, you, you, no, we should. Because here's the deal, sin will destroy you. It'll always cost you more than you're willing to pay. It will always keep you longer than you're willing to stay. Sin is dangerous. And so in this series, we'll do that. But the writer of Hebrews will show you that, hey, here is the sin problem, but here's the answer. His name is, very good, number seven. Jesus is our priest king. Now, 
You can write this down. We're going to show it up on the screen. But write down the book Psalm 110. Psalm 110. If you're taking notes, you can do that. If you're on the YouVersion Bible app, you'll see it there. But there's a cross-reference here to Psalm 110. And it was actually one of the questions that came in our group this week on the YouVersion Bible app. We'll get to that later on in the message. We're almost done, by the way. Makes this statement, Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord. Now, if that's not confusing, especially if you've been reading the Bible for a while, you're like, wait, what? The Lord said to my Lord. For the most part, who's writing the book of Psalms? David. This is David speaking. So the Lord said to my Lord. God said to Jesus. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Um, does anybody like to be continued messages, by the way? To be continued? Yeah. It frustrates the mess out of me. Not just messages, but TV shows. Because they do it so good. Yeah. Like, to be continued. Why? <laughs> Last week, I made this statement. What's this whole deal about Jesus sitting down? Here it is again. What's the big deal about that? To be continued. Not there yet. To be continued. I hope you guys would be more sad than that, but you're not. <laughs> Jesus, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And the Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Jesus, he's our priest. Now, the bigger picture is, is throughout the New Testament, Jesus is shown to be the true prophet, the true priest, and the true king. He's the true prophet who reveals God. That's what a prophet did, reveals God. He's the true priest who reconciles us to God. The priest would go into the tabernacle, into the holy of holies, and he would present the, the requests of the people. That's what the priest would do. So Jesus says, I'm that. But then he's the true king who rules on behalf of God. God says, hey, son, take a seat. Job well done, by the way. Paraphrasing for God here is a conversation between God and Jesus. Really good job. Why don't you sit there? Bible says, by the way, he sits at the right hand of the Father and he prays for you and I. Sit here. Matter of fact, kick your feet up. There's the footstool. You've done a great job. I'm going to make these enemies. You're going to rule over them. He's our high priest. Then number eight, 34 minutes in, Jesus is better. Notice what it says. Having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. I said this last week, 13 times in the book of Hebrews, we see the word better. The book of Hebrews is putting on display that there is no comparison to Jesus. As Omar comes. He doesn't just fulfill the Old Testament. He goes beyond it. Reaching to greater heights. Greater glory. Than anyone could have ever imagined. Alright so let's bring this to a close. What do we need to do? We read these four verses. Yet I point out. Eight things. Eight non-comparable truths. That set Jesus apart from anything else. And that's all great, and we need to know it. And point number one is going to help us understand why that's so important. But now I want to get just you and me. 
if you have to walk out of this place and take a step with what's been said today, if you're like me and I just heard eight things, I'm, I'm going like, I don't even know where to begin, Pastor. Like, what do I do with all of that, right? That right there is a lot of head knowledge, and it's knowledge that we need to know. But it's like, how do I walk out? Okay, I can walk out that Jesus is better, but how do I walk out? He's the radiance, he's the priest. How do I, is anybody else wondering that? Like, I'm looking at this going like, how do you walk this thing out? Like, I'm type A. I need practical steps of what to do with this. So I'm going to give them to you. You guys ready for it? Only three points. You guys are like, man, were you going to give us eight points, one for every point you had on the first one? (laughs) No. No. Just three. And they're super important. For some, they may be very elementary. For some, may be new to you. But we have people in here today that I know, some that I don't know. But these things that we're going to talk about, these three things, I guarantee you will give you a deeper appreciation for Jesus and who he is. One of the books that consistently challenged me is The the Case for Christ. And if you know of the book, it's a tremendous read. Anytime I talk to a person who says they're an atheist and they don't believe in God, um, I don't get mad at them. Like some people get so, like Christians get so offended over that. I'm like, what are you getting offended over? Like, it's a great time to have a conversation. This is the book I give them. In hindsight, the book is the journey of a man who tried to dispel that God was real and upon really understanding it, determined that God is actually real. He was trying to say there is no God to determine, oh my goodness, there is a God. I mean, I'm talking millions of copies of this book have gone out because there's something that we need to all get. The first one is simply this, is number one, we need to make theology a priority in our development. Now, I planned for this portion to be very short. But right here, some of you go like, man, unpack that one. Make theology a priority. Here's, here's what I mean by that. I'm all for the practical. You guys know me. The experiential development. I, I'm all about reading great devotions about our prayer lives and relationships and knowledge and money and all those different things that we need as believers. But if I could be honest with you, I would say that if you're not careful, you don't go deep enough. And the problem is the reason that we have a hard time defending our faith to those who don't believe in God is because we actually don't know how to defend what it is we actually believe about God. We know how to say, I, I, I love God, and I love Jesus, and I go to church, and I pray, and I read my Bible. But if somebody was to said, prove to me that God is real, we wouldn't even know where to begin. If that's you, please don't put yourself down, because that does you no good. But you need to have a starting place. And maybe, just maybe, this series is the one where you figure out and define that I need to have a theological basis on who God is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is, but I have to put it in play in my development. Now, there's so many ways that you can do that. I mean, there's a ton of ways that you can do that. I I, I found this to be true. Theology and practice are both vitally important aspects of following Christ. You have to have them. Notice the introduction to Hebrews lays the foundation for the entire sermon with basic Christian doctrine theology. Okay. 
before I give you point two, everyone just look at me real quick. Because I know what you're thinking. You're probably thinking what I thought. You use big words like theology and development, and you're just like, oh my gosh, I'm not that smart. I'm like, me neither. I'm not that educated, pastor. I don't have the attention span to do that. I want to push back on that. I'm going to say, you'll have the focus and the drive for anything you deem important in your life. Not just about God, but about everything. Robbie and Tanya are here today. They're my friends. Matter of fact, today, if you're enjoying the fact that we turned off the heaters because it was like 30-some degrees this morning when I got here, and then we turned on the ACs, it's because of that man right there. He's really good at his job. Yeah, if <laughs> he's over here clapping like, thank the Lord. Uh, keynote, if you ever want to feel air, see the vents right there? That's the row you want to sit in. But Tanya's also here too, and I had the privilege to coach Tanya in CrossFit for, man, almost about a year. And there was something that we would always talk about all the time. It would be this. When it gets hard, you need to embrace it, and you need to keep pressing in. You need to keep pressing on. You need to, and you just, oh, this, keep going, keep going, keep going, all the time. All the time. That's what I'm probably saying about this whole theology deal. And the things about trying to, it's hard. I don't get it. Press in. If it's important to you, you'll do it. MJ, the other day, I take him over to the golf course. Um, they had Monday off, so I'm like, man, here's 40 bucks. Golf as many times as you can. Call me. I'll come pick you up. His coach is here today, Tony. It's good to have you. And uh, so I send him out there. He gets two rounds in. You'll love this. And he calls me. He says, okay, Dad, I'm ready. And I'm like, man, I know how long it takes to golf, you know, nine holes in practice. And he said this to me. He said, Dad, it's too windy. So I said to him, I said, son, don't you think you probably need to learn how to play golf in wind? And here was our conversation. Embrace hard things. This might be very difficult. Getting theology in your life so you know what it is, it might be difficult, but you've got to start somewhere. You've got to get a, com a trusted commentary. I'll give you a list. You you've got to place yourself under people who have more knowledge than you do. And let them speak into your life. Listen, if God is important to you, then live a life that reflects it. And get deeper in his word. So there's the crew that says, man, I don't know if I could do this. Just give me three more minutes, okay? Don't know if I could do this, okay? Well, then just do this. Number two, devote ourselves to biblical teaching. If I want to understand God's word, listen, I'm going to give you the cliff notes. Ready? Next Sunday... 10.30, show up. You want to know why? Because I'm going to preach the Bible. You know what we're going to do? We're going to take the book of Hebrews and we're going to break it down. Here's the thing. After this series is done, you can have actual theology and Bible wisdom the whole nine years in the book of Hebrews just by showing up. Take notes. Fill, your worship guides, they have fill in the blanks. Fill in the blanks. What I'm saying is, is you don't have to do this thing on your own. I guess that's what I'm saying. We can help you. It's important. Look at the words. Acts 2.42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Theology. They devoted themselves to somebody preaching God's word to them. And they grew. Hebrews 10.24, verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves 
together. They devoted themselves to the house of God, to the apostles' teaching, not just in home groups, in the church, and they grew. Am I making sense? Super simple. How do I walk this out? I'm going to develop a theology life, set some time aside every single day, grow. I'm going to come to church. I'm going to listen to this guy ramble and 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 ramble. I'll make sense, I promise. But that's how you're going to grow. Last point, number three. Very, very simple. Then we're just going to keep Jesus, Jesus. That sounds weird. Keep Jesus, Jesus. Yep. Say, what do you mean by that? Keep Jesus, Jesus. I still don't get it, Pastor. Jesus is a big deal. So keep Jesus, the big deal. Place him in the center of your life. It'll change everything. Amen? Would you stand on your feet? You guys have been awesome. You've been great. I told you it's like a fire hydrant, water. How do I get this all in? Blah. There's a scene from the Chronicles of Narnia. Anybody ever seen Chronicles of Narnia? Show of hands. Okay. New ones. Read the books. Chronicle. Okay. You guys are tired. I get it. It's okay. Almost done. But Lucy, she meets Aslan. And Aslan is this lion that actually in the story represents Jesus. It's a tremendous movie. Great one to watch with your kids. Great books to read too, by the way. C.S. Lewis, unreal. So there's this scene where she sees Aslan for the first time in a long time. And so she goes up and they hug each other and she makes the statement. She says, Aslan. She says, you've gotten bigger. And he says to her, no, 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 I haven't. Kind of paraphrasing the story a little bit. I, I'm, I'm not bigger than you thought I was. And so he responds to her and says, it's really because you've actually gotten older. So the statement confuses Lucy and she says, wait, so you're not actually bigger. And then he makes this statement and I think it really fits closing this message out today. So Aslan says to her these words. He says, I'm not. He says, but every year that you grow, you will find me to be bigger. Now, if you're familiar with C.S. Lewis's writing, you have to kind of think about that for a moment. So let me give you the cliff note. The mature I get in Christ, the bigger God becomes. The more that you devote yourself to Bible theology, the more you will discover about God. And you will discover He is so much bigger than I thought He was. So when you say, I want to experience all that God has for me, The proof is in your desire of him. It's all on you. It's the last statement I'll make and then I'll pray and then we'll be dismissed. I say this very often, but it's very fitting in here. You could have as much or as little of God 
as you choose to have. But friends, if God was to say something to you today, he would say, I want everything to do with you. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? I just have... Thanks again for joining us. If you'd like to connect with us, text CONNECT to 805-321-1357 or visit us at slow.canyonhills.com. Until next time, have a great day and be encouraged that God is with you and for you.